Anyways, getting back to Mudhouse Sabbath, what did you uh, what did you think? What jumped out at you? Yeah. I go ahead. Do you have a rel- did you have a relative who had Alzheimer's? I have several. Yeah. I've had it that way myself. <laughs> <laughs> who, yeah, okay. Well, healthy as oxen, but crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't asking because I thought you were heading that way. I just, you know, anyways. No, I did. Actually. Well, I wrote a little thing years ago about that. Yeah, right. My grandma, like, and, I, and that's not just my own, my grandma's experience. I've heard other people say Yes. That. And people, Scott will say that on people's deathbed. Exactly. That, no, that's, that's exactly right. I thought it was well put. Um, I agree. I, sometimes we can, you know, I, this is funny. I just had lunch with a guy who said, uh, basically, I don't know how to pray, and I need to learn how to pray, and I'm worried that when I begin to pray, I'll just be speaking the words and nothing will happen. Is that a problem? Well, it is if you do that consciously. If you go in and say, I don't really care what all this means, and I'm just going to say it. But when it becomes such a part of you that, as she said, you're, you don't, you're not trying to tell God what your feelings are. You want your feelings to be transformed by what God says to you. So that's your point. The liturgy forms you. I thought that was well put in here, where she says, you know what, it can become rote, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, I can't go to speak without saying the Lord's Prayer. I mean, yeah. If I, if I don't say it, I'll just sit here in my mind or twirl yeah. for so long, and then I realize, oh, I didn't pray yet, and then I'll go to sleep. Yeah. And it is fascinating. I mean, this is one, one of the many reasons why the liturgy is so, I mean, the liturgy is essential. You can't do without the liturgy. And if people don't believe it, you know, just come, like you said, come see anyone on their deathbed who can't recognize their family, who can't even utter a word, and you say, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray, and instantly they can pray. Or you sing a hymn, and they know it. I mean, if you sing Shine, Jesus, Shine, you don't remember that. (laughs) You've got to sing it a heck of a lot to remember it. But the joy of the liturgy is it's the same thing over and over every week. You say the same prayers, you speak the same words, you recite the same creed, you sing the same hymns, and there's some value to that. Right. Luther has a letter to a barber on how to pray. Um, This barber basically asks, he says, I don't know how to pray. So Luther writes this letter to him on how to pray, and I think it's in that letter that he says, I challenge anyone except for Jesus himself to recite the Lord's Prayer and not lose track of what they're saying. He says, it just can't happen. You're going to say it, and you're going to be, and he says that you're going to be thinking about something else. The tasks I should have done today, the bills I have to pay, whatever. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's just a part of, you know, uh, that's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. 
And that's why you enter into sacred space on Sundays, because you're not concerned about what's going on outside. I mean, you enter in so that some people say, I'm over, you know, this is kind of one argument against a nice big altar and everything. You know, I can't focus on anything because I'm just, well, I don't know if that's the truth. You know, close your eyes then and make it through. But, uh, but you enter into sacred space and you begin to say, this is someplace different than what the world has to offer. I don't have to worry about what we're going to do for lunch. You know, I come in and this is heaven on earth where the prayers never stop. The saints in heaven always pray. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. God made a world that turned and revolves around the sun, and it occurred to me somebody is always praying to God and praising Him mm-hmm. 300, you know, 24 hours straight, 365 days in the year, that He created His own, what you want to call it, you know, nonstop praise unit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a pretty good idea. Well, that's a good question. Do we, do, we, do we ourselves actually pray without ceasing? Yeah, you do. Because the Spirit, as, it says, as Paul says, cries out with groans, and the Spirit is what dwells within us. So the Spirit is always praying. You can be, you know, walk into the store, and the Spirit is still crying out to the Father on your behalf, even when you don't know it. So when Paul says pray without ceasing, that's actually what you do. Once you're baptized, it's a life of praying without ceasing. And then you're right, Christians all over the world are praying, offering up the sacrifice of prayer to the Father. Yeah. What else? Anything else jump out at you? Go ahead. If you got the Spirit, the Spirit's praying. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And it was interesting because I often think that most, most of my prayer life are, are kind of informal conversations with God in my head as I'm going through my day and, you know, how should I do this? What should I do? And then I start to think, how often is that really just when you talk to me? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's on page 60. That's a great, that was a great point. Um, Set aside my prayer, she says, but, you know, put differently, I've sometimes set aside my prayer book for days and weeks on end, and I find at the end of those days and weeks on end that I have lapsed into narcissism. <laughs> though, meaning to commune with rever- with, uh, though meaning to commune with or reverence or at least acknowledge God, I wind up talking about myself and my emotions of the day. That's fascinating. And it's so true. I mean, how many of, I mean, I'll just ask you, because I'm guilty of it. Well, I'll just tell you, all of us struggle with prayer, you know, Um, and no matter who you ask, whether they've been a a Christian for years or a church father or whoever, they all say prayer is kind of this ongoing struggle. And it's funny how it moves. A a very wise person once said, and this actually, we had this conversation with the guy who asked me, I don't know how to pray. I want my family to pray. It's funny because you start off by not praying at all to praying and really hating it, it's the truth. I mean, when you begin, it's not fun. To then, you're so shaped by your prayers that you can't do without it. 
And that's kind of the progression that all of us as Christians need to go through, where you say, okay, I'm not praying, or I'm not praying as much as I should, or when I do pray, I'm a narcissist, <laughs> to I'm going to do it every day even if it kills me, and I'm going to hate it, which frankly, well, if, <laughs> if you're like me, this is what you struggle with. It's work. I mean, this is the, when I get up in the morning, I think to myself, there's so many other things I've got to do. This is the last thing I want to do. But you have to tell yourself, I'm going to do it anyways. But hopefully, Lord willing, you get to the point where you've been doing it your whole life, and you realize, I can't get up without doing this. And it's such a joy and a pleasure to do it. Um, so if you're in the midst of one of these two, you know, God bless you and keep going. And if you're here, don't stop because it's so good. But that's kind of where everyone's at, frankly. Yeah. Right. That's probably right. Exactly. Yeah. What's interesting is she really, um, she, she values liturgical prayer. She values the roteness of prayer. You just do it. And that's the way Christians have always been. You pray the liturgy of the hours, you know. There are priests that are better than I am, and they get up at four times during the night, and they pray all the hours. That's how the life should be. That's how it was intended to be. That's how the Old Testament and even the New Testament have shaped the rhythm of our day is by prayer. Um, but what's interesting is kind of rote liturgical prayer is not always very specific. It's very general. You know, open my lips and my mouth will declare your place. Okay, that's fine. But I've got a kid who's got the flu. You know? So where does all that fit in? Where does very specific prayer fit into kind of the, uh, you know, the general nature of liturgical prayer? And that's an interesting question because you, you battle with, okay, God knows everything. He knows, you know, my kid has the flu. Do I really need to explain it to him? And sometimes we end up telling God what he doesn't need to know. You know what I mean? You end up telling God, my son fell and hit his knee, and it's like, did he not see it? Well, he knows that. So, but, you know, if you've ever had a kid who's been very sick or a kid who's in the ICU, your prayers are going to be very specific. You know, don't let the tube hurt as it goes down his throat. So is all of that wrong? No, not at all. But we're shaped by the general liturgical prayer of the hours. That's what shapes our life and our day and everything we do. We embody the liturgy. Our life is a liturgy. We go to sleep at night and we wake up in the morning. That's liturgical. It's a death and a resurrection. So our whole life is shaped by the liturgy. And then there's room, as she says, for kind of this, you know, extemporaneous, specific prayer. This is what I'm really struggling with. Can you help me out? But all of that is in the way of Jesus. If Jesus can't say yes to it, you can't pray it. Right. Yeah. My, I'm a, my mind is moving. Uh, I have a down of when you give a moose a muffin kind of mind. You know? <laughs> so I really struggle with praying because I'm always on to something that yeah. has nothing to do with what I just started with a minute ago. But I, I find if I 
saying, oh, you know, Jesus is prom- you know, you're in this position. Yeah. Like you're praying for, or Jesus, you know, you promise what? Yeah. You, you promise this. That helps me actually order my own prayers and it keeps me. Yeah. That's a great, I mean, that's what, Jesus has names so that you can pray. You know, when you're lonely, you pray, Emmanuel, you've promised to be with us. You know, God with us. If you're sick, the great physician. But if it's outside of his name, you can't pray it. So that, that's an excellent point, is you always pray. That's why we always pray in the name of Jesus, but specifically the names he's given us. Um, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And my son was in the NICU. Yeah. I think that's probably the first time I've prayed the Lord's Prayer since the three Lutheran days. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> since I, I can remember, I mean, I knew the Lord's Prayer, but it wasn't part of what we did at church right. or uh, devotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always felt like if I ask him and it's not his will, mm-hmm. I just feel like I'd be so crushed I can't even ask. Mm-hmm. So I've felt that the liturgical prayers for me have been helpful in the times when I do have pressing mm-hmm. like needs right. or desires or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, if, it, if, he, if you know, mm-hmm. he supplies my desires or not, you know. Right. Do you just rely on the greater, I mean, you're using more, less specific prayers at more specific times. Yeah, yeah. Happens. I don't know why, though. It, I mean, maybe, I'm just maybe scared. <clears throat> well, part, yeah, part of it maybe is when you're most, when you're most in need of prayer is often the times when you really don't know what to say. And... <laughs> The joy of the liturgy is it's already said it for you. You know, that, that's why sometimes she, uh, she says, you know, she made a great point. In fact, let's look at it. Page 57. I mean, this is, this is a great, great, great point. Um, she ends that, it's not even the first complete paragraph, but she ends that previous paragraph by saying, she, you know, talking about her friend and her friend, came over and she was struggling with something and they just started conversing between them and with God. I'm like her, I think that's a little goofy, but that's just because, you know, well, Abby can tell you, you know, when we're out at dinner, I don't talk to anyone. <laughs> I mean, I just like enjoying the food and having a drink and, you know. So, you know, and plus, I'm, you're just exhausted. You're like, let's just sit here and enjoy the atmosphere. Why are we chatting? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I love you. That's right. So I, don't, I struggle with that just, just because that's not me, you know? But she says so too, so I don't feel so bad. Uh, I'm still a little bit uncomfortable with this out loud in plain view with other people right there kind of prayer, but I'm trying to learn. That's a good thing. These are all good pieces of prayer. And this is what she's talking about, just kind of off-the-cuff prayer. And I am glad to have them. But the skeleton that gives all these various praying, uh, various praying shape is liturgical prayer. And that's exactly, you know... That's exactly the way, that's what Gigi's saying. Liturgical prayer gives shape to everything else. You learn how to pray by by praying prayers that people who know how to write prayers have written. Unless you pray prayers that have been written for you, we'll never learn how to pray. 
So that's why, you know, when we're in church, we're very careful about what we say in the prayer of the church and how we say it. The collects are, I mean, guys sit on committees for years trying to formulate these collects, you know, the prayer of the church and so on and so forth, because you have to say it in such a way that it not only delivers the goods and, and prays rightly, but it also teaches people how to pray. So, you know, when in doubt, use liturgical prayer. Because you know it's good. You know it calls on the name. Exactly. You just say it. Just say it, and that's it. Yeah. It's yeah. impossible, really, to be truly reverent in any situation, mm-hmm. even uh, another story. But you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. with the words already there, there's something that you can kind of stand on. Mm-hmm. So we should all go out and buy rosaries. <laughs> I'm only half kidding, actually. I think there's some value in the rosary. Yeah? Well, how so? What's that? Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly this. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, right. It's a struggle. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And you think to yourself, oh gosh, it's noon, and I'm not praying. <laughs> right. You know, and that's, to me, that seems like unavoidable. Yeah. The same with the rosary. I mean, you know, it may be good in practice, but it, or in theory, but in practice, it's done as a legal kind of thing. Well, you're you know, right. if yeah. I don't say the rosary five times for this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. So how do you avoid that legalism part of it? Right. Well, this, fall, this falls back into one of the non-negotiables that the Lord's given us. You know, he says, when you pray, pray this. And he gives you the Lord's Prayer. He, doesn't, he never once says, if you pray, pray this. So it's expected that the Christian prays because that's, that's all you can do. You know, that's, that's, that's just your life. So it's legalism. It falls into legalism when you say, I won't have any of this. It falls into gift and pure gospel when you say, this is my life and I can't wait to do it. Even when you're in this part of the category right here, when you say, this is the life I've been called to, I struggle with it, but I'm going to do it. Now, if you get to this point and you say, I won't have any of the Lord's gifts, I don't want to call on his name, I can't take this anymore, then it's legalism. Then to say to you or to whoever, don't pray, or you, know, you have to pray, you have to pray, you have to pray, then it's not gift. But when you realize that you actually reside in the physical body of Jesus and what Jesus does is pray, you can't help but do it. So... Is the substance of a rosary wrong? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Is the idea behind guiding you through the prayers and leading you on a, on a sort of liturgical rhythm, is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I take your point. You know, obviously you're not going to stop on the train tracks and start praying. Um, but, you, but it is good to think to yourself, this is what I've been called to do. This is who I need to call upon. This is my life. And so that's just what I do. 
And that's, that's a real struggle to discern legalism from the Christological life. That's a very tough thing to do. And so we always need to be reminded, where do we reside? We are in Jesus, and this is all he does. So that's what we do as well. Yeah? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's right. Yeah, Gretchen. Yeah. I, I feel like, whoa, I have no idea. I really needed it that much or something. Right. I, that's happened to me time and time again. Yeah. Kind of moment, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> on a little Wednesday night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, where you just kind of go in and you just feel in by yourself. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, this is more of a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll back up a minute and say, out of all that we've read in this book, I finally felt like here's a chapter where I know something about what's going on. <laughs> Liturgical prayer is familiar to me, whereas reading culture, I, yeah. it was all new, and the grieving chapter, just all these things I'd never heard of before. But So I can identify with liturgical prayer. This particular part of it, like where it's root, rooted um, for, you know, from Old Testament times, mm-hmm. Right. Christ already has been yeah. sacrificed once for yes. all. So, what's the um, benefit, or why is it still proper? Yes. You, you understand. I completely get. I, in fact, I was expecting someone to ask that. Okay. Um, I didn't know what I was going to say, but I was expecting someone to ask that. Um, it smells of. I mean, it it doesn't look Lutheran when you talk in the language of sacrifice. That's just not Lutheran. That's not the way we talk. It sounds very. And I know some of you are, were Roman Catholics, and you know I have a great affinity for Rome, but it smells very Roman Catholic. That's the heart of, of really any theology outside of Lutheranism. The heart of much of it is sacrifice. There's always something that you have to do for God, whether it's you offer up the body and blood of Jesus, which there's some real truth to that, 
or whether you offer up your life or whatever it may be. All that being said, there is an element of sacrifice even in Lutheran worship. And she hits the nail on the head here when she says it's prayer or it's liturgy. That's why we sing the Psalms at, at evening prayer, let my prayer rise before you as incense. You know, And that comes from the Old Testament idea of worship. You prayed, you lit up incense, so on and so forth. But the only reason it's sacrifice is because what you're doing is you're saying, when we pray, all we're saying is, okay, Father, here's Jesus, here's what he said, here's what he's done, now do whatever you wish for us to do, or do whatever you wish to do to us. Because you're, I mean, all, all you're doing is, if this is Jesus, you're just saying, okay, Father, here's Jesus, this is what he's done, now work things out the way you want to work them out. But just the simple act of saying to the Father, here's Jesus, there is something sacrificial about that. Not only because you're saying to the Father, okay, you're lifting up Jesus and saying, here's Jesus, but also the same Jesus that you're lifting up is one who still bears the marks of his own sacrifice. So all prayer is offering up the sacrificed, crucified, bloody, beaten body of Jesus. Because in that is hope and life and resurrection and health and comfort and peace and everything you can think of. So that's the element that's sacrifice. However, this is what I was going to say in the video when Pastor Bruzek took more time than I did. I'm not bitter at all, actually. Um, the guy that came who shot the video was, uh, he's Episcopalian or something, and uh, very liturgical. But his big thing was, you know, they kind of had it scripted what they wanted us to say. And, of course, you know, you have to question if anyone comes in and says, this is what you have to say. But this guy's not a Lutheran. Um, so he comes in and says, I want you to talk about relationships and how relationships are formed by dialogue and we dialogue with the Lord and what's going to get us through this capital campaign is prayer. So I sit down in front of the camera and I said, relationships are formed by dialogue. Uh, we dialogue, or I said, we pray, or I said, we dialogue with the Lord here, but here at St. John, the Lord does most of the speaking. He speaks to us in word and sacrament, at pulpit, altar, and font. And all we do then is we just simply say back to him what he's already spoken to us. He says, go and make disciples. And we say, okay, we're going to go make disciples. How can we do that? Um, so I am sensitive to the idea that we don't offer up sacrifices here. But at the same time, if you're praying in the Son through Jesus and you're saying, Father, here he is. Now do what you want to do. There is something sacrificial about that. Your prayers just rise to the Father as well. Uh, just like the smoke of a sacrifice or the smoke of incense would rise up to the Father. So that's the sacrificial nature of prayer. And so do you think for the, Jew, for the Jewish people at that time, I, I couldn't think of anything, you know, from Sunday school or whatever, where, like, whose idea was it to turn around and, and offer prayers? Because it, it almost sounds like, well, here's plan B. Or, or it reminded me of, you know, sometimes we're so prone to say, well, all we can do is pray. You mm -hmm. know, this kind of seemed like, well, we can't sacrifice, so all we can do is pray. Right. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Come on now. Um, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. Um, you're right. If that's all you say, if all you say is we just got to pray, that's good, but it's not best. This goes in the good and best category. What's best? The Lord gives you his gifts, and that's what makes you a, a people. What's good? Well, we can't get to the temple, so we're going to pray. If that's all they said is, let's just pray, that would have been good but never best. But um, there was more to it. She didn't give them enough credit here, I don't think. There was more to it than we can't get to the temple, so we're just going to pray. I gave you a real long answer, but that's a short answer. There's more to it than just, okay, let's pray. 
Um, but that was one part of the deal. That you can't get to the temple as often, so we pray. We pray the hours. When we normally go to the temple and pray, we're going to be out here in the wilderness and we're going to pray these liturgical hours. Yeah. No. Uh, well, that's part of it. The priest offers up the prayers of the people. That's why the collect in the church, all that means is the priest or the pastor collects the prayers of the people and then he prays on their behalf. That's part of the priestly nature of being a pastor. You know, we say they're not priests. Well, they are. Um, and that's what the priests in the, Old, in the Old Testament did is they offered up the prayers of the people. But the people came and made those prayers known and made their sins known and then the priest prayed on their behalf. But there's a whole liturgy to the Old Testament. Well, no one spoke to God directly necessarily. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the, um, you know, that's part of the deal when the temple curtain cuts in two, is that now you can go directly to the Father because the bloody guy on the cross is your access. Before that, it was the priest who did stand in the stead of Jesus. I mean, all the Old Testament sacrifices are actually sacraments that deliver the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. But now you have Jesus, who now still stands in, you know, still in your presence this day. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that it's never going to happen again. Yeah. 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 You're like, pretty bad since my hammy went out. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> a little slow today. I mean, it's, it's usually walk with the Lord, but sometimes, it's, you know, she wants to know, am I getting up at 5 a.m.? Am I praying for an hour, hour and a half every morning on my knees, of course, because hmm. otherwise it really wouldn't be the right way. And, you know, that drives me insane. But it, it, she never says to me, she never asks, <laughs> and it went all the way through May. And the following, the, I mean, we were just two young 
Right. Do you have parking karma? Um, I do. I'm very good. Yeah. Um, It is true. I just drive in and like the Lord, you know, there's a light beam and there's the spot and just pull right in. I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I say. Parking karma. I actually call it the sniffer because you sniff out a good spot. I'm like, yeah, my sniffer is good today. I can smell that one out. Uh... Let's uh, look at page 61. And th- we've mentioned this, but let's just, let me just read this paragraph and then we can uh, talk about it a bit. Uh, first full paragraph on page 61. What I say to Meg is this. Sure, sometimes it's great when in prayer we can express to God just what we feel. You've all, I mean, you've all had those kind of prayers. Whenever you begin with yourself, it's kind of that kind of prayer. Lord, I just want to, and you hear these all the time. I just want to, whatever. Just want to thank you. I just want to let you know. But better still, when in the act of praying, our feelings are changed. Liturgy is not, in the end, open to our emotional whims. It repoints the person praying, taking him somewhere else. That's brilliant. And that's exactly what the... Then you, what you've done is you've put the... Um, you put the job of making things happen on the Lord. You don't change your feelings. The Lord changes you. This is the whole thing. The Lord does all the verbs. Go ahead. Right.
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's well said. Um, and also just how you begin your prayers. I'm sure you found as you prayed, you would usually begin with, we just want to, or I just want to, or I've really struggled with this. Can you? And when you begin to pray the way the Lord would have us pray, you always begin with Jesus. And essentially what you're doing is you're saying, I mean, this is, open up to Acts 4 if you have your Bibles. This is actually, and some of you may have you know, read through this before, but this is actually where you see the first collect. Um, you know, this is where we get our collect form, and we'll, we'll look at this. But there's a kind of an interesting point about the way we pray collects. Acts 4, verse 24, And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and this is that sacrificial nature, you lift up your voice and speak to God, Sovereign Lord, okay, so it addresses him, Sovereign, you're all-powerful, you can do all things, you know, that's calling on the name who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his, against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Okay, so what they've said is, Lord, here's your name. You're all-powerful. Here's what you've said. They're going to destroy my anointed, and guess what they did? You know all things. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay, so the name, here's what you've done, the rationale. This is why we can call upon you. And now, here's what we're asking. So the third thing you finally do is finally, what's your request? Not the first thing. They didn't start off by saying, look upon the threats of our people. No, they said, here's your name. Here's what you've done. Look upon their threats now through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. So that's the way the collect works. First, you have the name. Then you have the rationale. Lord, here's why we're asking you. Lord, you are the great physician who heals both body and soul. Now here's your request, and you always end up with the name again, through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. The point of all this is look at, look at where your request actually kind of lies, right in the middle. If something goes bad, what you're doing is you're putting it all on the Lord. So at the end of the day, if you know, your loved one doesn't get well, well, it's the Lord. Not his fault, but it's his choice. If you start off with yourself here and you say, here's what I want, and it doesn't go the way you wanted it to, you're going to instantly think, I've done something wrong. The joy of this kind of prayer is it's all on the Lord. He makes up his mind. It's on him. If he doesn't do it, he doesn't do it. And if he does do it, he does do it. This is a fancier way of saying, thy will be done, which can be overused sometimes. Sometimes we, we say too quickly, thy will be done, when the Lord would say, you know, come on, let's work through this. Let's see what we can do. Here's what I'm all about. But at the end of the day, it's thy will be done. Okay? End of the day, it's thy will be done. Why? Because the Lord makes all the decisions and it's on him. If something goes south, it's the Lord's fault. And that's okay. What else? Well, it's the same 
Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That is exactly right. And that's the mark of a mature Christian who can say, in life or in death, doesn't matter. You know, the Lord gives life, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So uh, that's a person who's prayed, who can get to that point and say, you know, if this is what happens, great. If this is what happens, great. Blessed be your name. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> little heartburn. Because I'm not, because that's the, yeah. That is our problem every day with praying, is that, for me anyway, every, every day, I mean, I'm just a self confessed control freak. Yeah. Just the way it is. Right. I, I keep hoping that I, you know, I'll wake up and be a wonderful person, but yeah. until then. Um, Someday it'll come. <laughs> now, let's, this is what's how we're going to work this <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. What am I going to add to it? And so I just pray that every day. And I thought, oh, it's well, going to be so boring because I don't have any input. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you think the older you get, the more thankful you are that you don't have the input. Because I, I, I'm comfortable enough with my fallen nature that I don't really want God to do what I think would be the right answer because yeah. it's most likely the wrong answer. That's right. <laughs> He lets you have what you want. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. And I think I've had that happen enough times that now I, 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 I That's right. Get what you want and more. <laughs> you know, so like you said, you know, God knows what he wants for us. There's something very, uh, for me at least, very, like, uh, scary about the Lord answering a prayer specifically. And I've had that happen a number of times in my life. And it's 
Mm-hmm. I mean, he can do whatever he wants to do. And that really freaked me out for like just the whole idea that mm-hmm. if he wants to, and I, I, I think, I'll well, we'll find out someday, but I think he answered that prayer that I had. It was for something very foolish. Uh, so specifically and immediately to just kind of show me I can do whatever you want to do. Just chill out and think about what you're saying, you know, before you go on and on. Right. And, you know, Job, who was a righteous man mm-hmm. and has had a, pretty much a blameless life, when he comes before God, finally, after talking with all his friends, right. he, God's, uh, he's the one that God says, who is it that, you know, darkens my doorway? Mm-hmm. Not, or, you know, where were you when the mountains formed? Where the whale that swims in the deep. I mean, it's like, wait a second, this is one of your guys. He's the righteous mm-hmm. man coming to you. He's not one of these people, you know. But even even the righteous man, God, I mean, even the righteous demanding of the Lord anything or inquiring in, into things that they ought not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would expect that that would be the Lord's response to me too. Right. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, right. He's always going to be the same. Mm hmm. Yeah. But isn't it that he receives requests? So the relationship has changed. Mm hmm. So we don't have to. I mean, in talking about all our, our prayers and our prayers being just so or just right, Christ is our. Mm hmm. I mean, he intercedes for us. So. Mm-hmm. You'd hope, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think we need to get too caught up in doing, saying the right, you know what I mean? Because that, that's part of our gift of salvation is that right. he'll, it'll be okay. I don't know. No, it is true. No, it is true that you pray. I mean, this is Kirby's point. You pray in the name. If you pray anything outside of the name, then you shouldn't be praying it. So that, that does, to, I don't want to say it limits your prayers because the name is huge, but it does limit exactly how you phrase them and what you say and exactly what you ask for. So as long as you're praying in the name, all is well. If you pray outside the name, Jesus won't take that and put it in his name, but it just won't, it's, it, that's not a prayer. This is not a prayer to the true God. Um, and there are times when, you, when we can agonize. I mean, I, we've all done this. You know, over, you look back on it, you think, why did I agonize over that? I mean, oh my goodness, should I go to this college or should I not? You pray for days about, should I go to this college or not? And at the end of the day, the Lord says, 
you know, I've given you all your reason and your senses and your mind and you can work things out. You're a smart person. Work it out. You know what I mean? That's part of the gift of just being uh, created and having... Yeah, that's, wh that's why the incarnation is so important. God actually becomes man and he redeems who you are as man, as person. And so you can think about things in a logical way and actually make good decisions. So sometimes you can agonize too much. And this is, you know, this is, it's not bad to pray about those things, but, you know, I don't know if I should go to this school because, you know, uh, their colors are black and red and I don't like that. You know, that's... Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's right. That, that's, and that would be a real blessing, actually. <laughs> but you would never, but here's the thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah, oh, that's so true. Do we need to talk? That's, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And this is part of, this is part of recognizing who you are and where you're at, getting back to your point. I'm in Jesus. A person who's in Jesus has the freedom to make choices and decisions, but you would never in Jesus choose to kill someone. Right. And if you decide, or if you do make a mistake, well, God can find a way to bless you through that. Yeah. There's all kinds of ways. Uh, we, my husband and I were talking years ago about, about adoption and kids getting pregnant out of mm -hmm. wedlock. And, you know, they could see firsthand a situation where they knew a girl and they knew the family and blah, 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 blah. And I said, look at how God blessed mm -hmm. Right. And, and yet, somehow, God blesses it. I said, she was going to live with that. Yes. For her whole, exactly. You know, um, but look, she, she's blessed by finding a terrific family for mm -hmm. her child. The family's blessed because they have this new member of the family. I said, yep. It isn't without, it wasn't probably the best decision the girl made. Right. She would probably, if she'd go back, she would, she would have done something differently. Right. Yeah. Don't make a mistake. <laughs> Don't make a mistake. But if you make a mistake. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. He works all things out for the good of those who love him. Right. Yeah. Yes. And trying to sort that out because it's not always yeah. a cut and dry. They both look pretty darn good. Right, which one's best? So then your prayer should yeah. So then your prayer should be not um, okay, what's the best college I can go to and what's a good your prayer should be give me wisdom to make right choices. And once that I mean, if you pray for anything, it should be wisdom. Because wisdom kind of encompasses everything. Every decision you make, if you have true divine wisdom. Uh, you know, your hope is, your prayer is that you end up making good decisions. So that, that was my point. Not that it's wrong to pray for, you know, colleges. Your prayer should be, though, give me wisdom to make the right decision. And then, you know what? Then the Lord says, make the decision and I'll work it all out. I'll bless it all. Because you're my own and I bless you and all things work out for the good of those who love me. So that's you and it's all going to work out.
right choice for me to make. And that happened um, with Michael um, when we kind of figured out where to move in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And God answered his prayer in the daytime and specifically right there. And it was such a scary thing because we were talking about saying, here's my answer, and God heard me and it happened before. So it was really Yeah, that's, that's where it gets. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was Gideon. Well, see, that's the thing. Anytime, what the heck have I done? (laughs) You can, you know, people, that's a very very good point. And sometimes it works out well. And other times, you never get an answer. So kind of the the rule of thumb is you never want to put the Lord to the test. You know, you never want to, you don't want to make an ultimatum with Jesus. No, but you never want to say, okay, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Show me this, but. That's right. So that is, that is yeah. definitely not, we shouldn't be tr- doing that, right? <laughs> 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 the, the, the trouble is. I mean, like, in a way, I mean, I know how you're saying, because it does happen to me. Yeah. That, that's the thing that has scared the living daylights out of me, because, you know, it, it seems like such a logical yeah. way to pursue the will of the Lord. Yes. Right. Yeah. And the trouble is, he's never, uh, he's never promised to give signs to, to, when you ask what he's never promised to give you a sign back. Now, sometimes he's very gracious and he does. And sometimes he's very gracious and he still gives you a sign and it's not the sign you expected and then it's all hell breaks loose. But, you know, he never promises to give you a sign, but what he does promise is he promises to give you wisdom when you ask for it. So is that, is it, you know, is it wrong that you ask for a sign? No, not at all. But, you know, kind of as we mature and we, we think more about things and, and call upon his name, he is not, he's not the sign giver, but he is wisdom incarnate. You know what I mean? So that's calling upon the name, saying, you are wisdom incarnate. Now, since I am in you, give me wisdom to make right decisions. But, you know, it works out, and yeah. then it's a good thing, you know? Yeah, go ahead. Um, tie that in, please, with, I, I think it's this week, it, where, uh, is it, whichever the thing is that God says, ask me for a sign. He said, I'm not going to put you to the test. So he said, okay, I'll give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. Yeah. That's, that's a different kind of thing, though, isn't it? It's a different kind of thing because um, that's in Isaiah 7. If you want to flip there real quick, let's... Uh, this is actually a great Sunday. It's the, uh, well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's, let's look at Isaiah 7. Yeah, see, if, yeah, right. King Ahaz, um, see, what's happened is the Lord has come back and back to him and said, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I'm going to do, and basically he says, I'll have none of that. You know, the Lord, comes to, er, the Lord comes to Ahaz and says, here's what I'm going to do. And he says, no, I'm not going to have any of that. Here's what I'm going to do. And then he finally says, I'm going to give you a sign. And his out is, and actually I don't know if he's, I don't even know if it's faithfulness in saying, I don't want to put you to the test. It's more of, I'm scared to even speak to you because I'm not on your side. 
And he says, okay, I'll give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son, and she'll call his name Emmanuel, which is actually, it's rich gospel to us, but it's a shot in the arm to him. I mean, it's, does the Lord give signs? Yeah, um, but this is for a different reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not because he's been asking for it, and he says, okay, I'll give it to you. It's, he's saying, I won't have any of that, and he'll say, okay, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to show you that this is actually going to happen. You didn't believe it, but here it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like the Lord is saying, ask me for a sign. Yeah, if the Lord says, ask me for a sign, but ask him. <laughs> if he comes and says, ask you for a sign, okay. ask. Could that be like an Old Testament thing, though? Like in the New Testament, does anyone ask for a sign? Well, I don't. Yeah. One more sign. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's a great question. Well, no one asks for a sign because the sign is fulfilled. You know, once the, um, this is, this gets, I mean, last year we talked every week about types, you know, and allegory and something stood for something else. You know, once the, once the type comes to fulfillment, so once Jesus is born, the type then ceases to exist. There's no more need for a sign because the fulfillment is there. Who had a question? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, this Sunday, the pyramids go to white. Everything changes because it's the Feast of the Annunciation. So March 25th, which, uh, you know, in the ancient world, they, okay, Christmas is December 25th. Nine months before that is March 25th, the day when the angel spoke into Mary's ear and she conceived. But in the ancient world, they always believe, well, they confessed, and whether or not it's right, that doesn't matter. Theologically, it's very good, that you died on the day that you were conceived. So traditionally, Good Friday was always celebrated on March 25th, the day of the conception and the day of his death, which theologically, I mean, that's where it's all, incarnation and crucifixion, that's everything. So it'll be fun in the midst what of Lent. Change? I mean, could, now it's like a moon or... Yeah, I probably, I mean, I think even up until like the Middle Ages, it was still, the early church was very big on March 25th is Good Friday and the Annunciation, and so, yeah. So it's kind of fun in the midst of Lent to get a little baby Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Sing some Christmas carols maybe. <laughs> Actually, we should. We should. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
is because it's one of the few times that at our church where you hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. And when you think about um, the man who, I was there Sunday, the, the older man who got up and talked about how getting his job was like a blessing from the Lord because it ended up, I mean, and that had something to do with him being here. Right. You know, um, the web of how God works is just so thick and convoluted to our thinking. Mm-hmm. But it's such an encouragement to think that even in something that seems so unrelated to St. John and so far in the distant past, the Lord was working on making him and his family a part of our, our community. Right. And I don't know, I, I'm just putting my two cents in that if anyone ever wants to share something, <laughs> Right. And like and all three of those stories, I think they were all so moving. Yeah. I don't think they yeah. up by everybody telling they're all so so different. But it was the same the last time we did this. Yeah. And yeah. how you get to know people and all that. I have never even talked to Mr. Jackson before. <laughs> and I went up and started talking to him and yeah. started telling other stories about, you know. But to think some I mean, it was great to, to have someone at his age and, and it never occurred to me like to think I might not be here to Right. And I thought, holy cow, I what a blessing just in that job. But you're like, I mean, our other Christian brothers and sisters who see these regular testimonies yeah. or whatever, yeah. uh, they get to know each other in a different way at that. I'm not always convinced that's the way they do that. Yeah. It's right, but, but you're right. It's just something we miss out on getting to know each other's stories. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's just like, so we started looking looking through our days and looking for signs of God in our life, intervening, helping us along, or us mm-hmm. showing God's love for somebody else. So it was um, a really neat in, in, um, exercise in which we could all share in how discovering God, God's actions in our life every day. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, that's, and that's part of what we're trying to do with these two-minute talk things. I mean, Stevens last week was brilliant. And the reason it was, well, and the reason, (laughs) well, here's the reason it was brilliant, because everything he said, everything he said began with the Lord. You know, the Lord did this, the Lord baptized me, the Lord put his name on me, the Lord teaches me Greek, the Lord sent me to a college, the Lord did all of this. And the problem with testimonies, like you say, is oftentimes they begin with, I came to Jesus this way, you know, what are the personal pronouns? but the great thing about these two-minute talks is we get to hear people's stories, but it's not their story. It's the Lord's story. And to get back to your question about, I want to hear how prayers have been answered, I mean, we do actually have a place where we can go, where we can hear, where we can know that every prayer has been answered, and that's the altar. I mean, if the altar is pure Christ, Jesus is the answer to every prayer. He is it. So when you kneel at that altar rail, you may not know exactly what they've been praying for, but you know that their prayers have been answered, and even more than that, 
that the prayers of the faithful who have gone before us, their ultimate prayer is, take me to eternal life. And you know what? They're there saying, this has all been answered. Right. Well, and you know what? Then I need to pray for is, Lord, help me see that. Yes. Exactly. That is exactly right. Right. That's the answer to prayer. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That's exactly right. It is, it's such a part of you, you know, and, um, I was thinking, gosh, our kid had sandals, yeah. and they were playing videos, singing the Mensa Men, <laughs> and they didn't even know they were doing it. <laughs> That's one way. <laughs> and they were kind of like, they kept doing it. Yeah, right. That's right. And they were, the basketball guys were moving, but it was like, yeah, it was, it was so, and they were 11. Yeah. I mean, they were like, only teenagers doing this sort of unconscious. Yeah. It is, it is such, I mean, that's one of the most beautiful things ever is to have someone who, you know, just doesn't know anything. They don't even know who you are, and yet they know the liturgy. Liturgy is pure gospel, you know? So, boy, that happens, I mean, that happens more often than not where, I've known people personally, or I see people now in shut-ins, and um, it's just, it's, that's the way the church should be, you know? That's why we have the liturgy. That's why we have the gospel, because that's what it's all about. So that you can go to your death knowing what the Lord has said. When Pastor Eckert was dying, yeah. we were around his bed. I mean, it was like he died, I should tell you that afterwards. Yeah. And were you there? Were you there? No, uh-uh. Yeah. And um, they, Scott was doing the kind of the... Commendation of the dying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. And it, was, it wasn't many of us, maybe just six of us who kind of went over there. He was, and he was quiet. He looked comatose. I mean, like yeah. he was not responding. And at the moment we sang it, he actually was multi-knowing. Yeah. It, it, it was very interesting. Mm -hmm. But I go, like, he, to us, he looked like he was not, but he, was, he just moaned and moaned and moaned. Mm -hmm. I, don't know, I think he died right around that time. Yeah. But isn't that a great way to go to your death? I'm like, that's how I want to go. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and there's this great quote, which is, and this will, this will kind of wrap us up. There's this great quote where, uh, and this, this gets back to the Holy Supper as prayer and pure Christ and so on and so forth. Uh, a guy who just recently died, in fact, said, uh, we go to the Holy Supper as if going to our death so that we might go to our death as if going to the Holy Supper. Isn't that glorious? I mean, you go to your death, pure Christ. And that's the value of the liturgy. One more comment. You got something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you were talking about um, being in Germany and singing the liturgy in German, and that when the words that it was, and I had this experience when I was going to Europe and like in um, Germany and 
I didn't know that the liturgy was the same. Yes, I right. No clue that they were seeing the exact same thing that we sang. And it's yeah. a point in the Catholic Church that, yeah. that, you know, they sing, you know, Lord have mercy. They sing a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, okay, we aren't really separate from them. You know, we, they aren't our enemy, really. That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. All right. Should we close in the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, thank you. This is great fun. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.